Hey guys, what's up? I hope everybody is doing well and thank you very much for tuning in to episode 10 of the Prime Life podcast. So in today's episode, I sit down with former professional rugby player, traveler and extreme adventurer, Damien Brown. This is one of my favorite episodes. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, Damien is an extraordinary person. So I'll just give you a little bit of a background on Damien before we get stuck into the episode, because when we first started chatting, we kind of we, we didn't do much of an introduction. We kind of got stuck into uh, a topic of, of conversation. So I want to really give this man a proper introduction. So after 16 years playing in in the Celtic League, the English Premiership and the French uh, Championship, injury forced his hand and he made a tough decision to retire. Now, during this downtime from the intensity of playing sports, he indulged in his passion for travel and adventure, visiting, visiting more than 50 countries on six continents and challenging himself in different ways with a three-week expedition into the high-altitude Premier Mountains in Afghanistan, summiting Kilimanjaro in Tanzania, climbing Mount Blanc in France and Grand Padicio, Italy. So Damien is also on a quest to scale the highest mountain peaks in all seven continents around the world. And unfortunately, he had Mount Everest, I believe, was next, and Mount Vincent left to complete. But unfortunately, due to the pandemic around the world during April and May, it was all put to a halt. So really exciting for him next year. He's going to... Um, start this challenge again and he has just Mount Everest and Mount Vincent left. Vincent V-I-N-S-O-N 100% how to pronounce that sure how to pronounce that but anyway. So in 2016 then Damien also took on the amazing Marathon de Sable which is a marathon basically in the Sahara Desert completing the six day 257 kilometer marathon which is dubbed the toughest toughest foot race on planet Earth. Now, after this race, most people would be satisfied with that challenge. He decided to go off and uh, row across the Atlantic Ocean alone. So, it took him 18 months of physical and mental and technical preparation. And then on the 14th of December, he waved goodbye to his family and it took him 63 days, 6 hours, 25 minutes to cross the finish line of the Whiskey Atlantic Challenge, arriving in Antigua, 28 kgs lighter, and as you can see some of his pictures, a much hairier man. So, having um, endured 9 meter swells, a badly cut head, capsizes, encounters with whales, sea and pressure sores, losing an oar and complete steering failure with over 2,000 nautical miles to Antigua, Damien said that it was a hell of an experience, a hell of an adventure and a hell of a challenge. And it was exactly what I wanted from the challenge. I wanted to be pushed to my limits mentally and physically and I sure got what I wanted and more. Now, this man honestly has a mind of steel and has developed this unbreakable mentality by pushing his mind and body through difficult situations and challenges that has set himself out apart from others. So he firmly believes that setting out personal challenges and overcoming them, no matter how tough or miserable they may be, is the key to building resilience, 
confidence and self-worth within yourself. Now, during this podcast, Damien shares some incredible stories from his extreme and daunting expeditions, along with many actionable and valuable mindset techniques that he used and continues to use in order for him to get through some of the challenges that may arrive up in his life or some of the toughest and grueling experiences that he has gone through in his life. So honestly, it's just, I had, I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, we could have spoke for hours, but yeah, it was just, it was just an incredible conversation, incredible, incredible story. And um, yeah, he's, he's really a great guy. So guys, without further ado, I hope you enjoy my conversation with the great Damien Brown. So Damien, yeah, thanks a million for, for your time and um, yeah, welcome to the Prime Life Podcast. Um, so how are you doing, man? I know for you, um, you're, for people who know of you, you're definitely not a stranger to uh, self-isolating and uh, living in a quarantine life and I'm sure we'll talk about that after, but this must have been a bit of a, a, bit of a walk in the park for you the last couple of weeks, <laughs> in a way. Uh- yeah, take, listen, thanks for having me, Alex. I uh, appreciate the invite and uh, nice to be here. Yeah, listen, it's been fine. I, I actually um, have um, had moments or um, mo- many, many more moments of it have been enjoyable or more enjoyable than I would have foreseen. You know, I like you said, I, I don't have any issues in my own company, but I've really enjoyed the kind of um, simplicity of life over the last, uh, whatever it is, eight, nine, ten weeks now. So, um yeah, I've just, I suppose, concentrated on uh, some projects that I needed to put some work into, and um, I'm very kind of fortunate to have a gym here in the house, so I was able to um, keep um, myself uh, sane by, you know, that with that outlet of training and um, and pushing forward physically and mentally. Um, so I've been, yeah, it's, I've been in a good space. I live very close to the sea as well, so I had that outlet for kind of dipping in and out there in, in most evenings, you know. So those two things, um, um, you know, really kind of helped me through this period, you know. Without them, it would have been a very different scenario. Because mm-hmm. I know it's probably, I know you mentioned there you were dipping in the sea. Um, I know when we first met with Leo Ryan um, back in February, it's probably very different now. And uh that was an amazing challenge that you had there, Freesbury, for that month of February. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, the sea is uh, extremely different now than February, and uh, you know, as we'll all remember, February uh, two thousand twenty was a, a wild month. You know, so um, Freesbury um, was very much a case of embracing. Um, you know, the wildness of mother nature this year. Um, for, I suppose, for your listeners who don't know what Freesbury is, it's a, um, it's a physical and uh, psychological challenge to get into the, um, I suppose, frigid waters or Irish waters, um, be they the sea, 
ideally the sea, but it might be a lake or a river uh, every day in February, starting on February 1st for one minute and adding a minute as the days tick along. So February 10th for 10 minutes and this year was a leap year. So February 29th for 29 minutes. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a, an amazing, this year was the second year of it. And uh, yeah, amazing spread on it, you know, and a huge kind of um, a huge increase of kind of people who engaged and committed to the challenge this year. Um, and uh, yeah, raised a load of money for uh, a couple of charities, Pieta House and Chuck Tom and Kilkenny. So we had some nice, um, I suppose, little groups or little communities around the country. You know, there was in Greystones, in Bray. Uh, in Kilkenny, in the River Noor, um, there's the lads out in Renville, in um, Connemara. Uh, there's quite a few here in Galway and Black Rock. So, you know, there was there was little, um, like I said, pockets of people everywhere around the country. And then we had other people outside the country as well um, taking part. So it's uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, growing some legs and and getting out there. And then you know, people are getting huge benefit from it because the. You know, the waters are cold, very, very cold that time of year, you know, five, six degrees. Um, there was a guy up in Donegal who was in some uh, rivers that had, I'd say, some sort of um, uh, flow from the, the mountains. And he measured one morning uh, the river he was in at 2.8 degrees. Like, that is ridiculously cold. So it's a huge battle to stay in the cold that long. You know, there's a, a, a monumental amount of resistance internally you know and it's just co learn, learning to cope with that resistance um and there's all sorts of ways and the more you impose that um you know resistance and stressful state on yourself the better you're going to become and it's just doing that consistently over time and and that's what freesbury imposes on people that consistency to you know reimpose um those states on you and you know so you're practicing certain like coping mechanisms and skills and concentrations and your self-awareness is being um broadened every day um by doing that and, and you know and that's why people get so much from it because it's just you know you get amazing sense of achievement and you get great growth from it you know through all those little channels and streams internally um and uh yeah some of the messages i've been sent you know very anonymously and you know you know people i didn't even know they weren't even making noise around doing it but they you know they were they were following along and they just you know extolling the i suppose the change is given in them and you know it's it's amazing to see and it's you know, it, it gives me um, energy and enthusiasm to continue it. Yeah. Well, like, I, I remember, I think I joined on day 22, I believe, and it was down in Galway, um, in Salt Hill. And I remember just trying to build myself up to, to get into the water because every part of me, every bone, every, just every inch of me didn't want to get in. Um, but I remember coming out of it then, just feeling amazing. And, like, I, I think that kind of stands true then to a lot of challenges that we can set out for ourselves. And I know you are a big believer in setting out challenges and stretching your comfort zone and, and overcoming in your, you know, your limiting beliefs. And I suppose when it goes back to Freezebury and it goes back to the water, what is it do you think that really kind of sets into our own psyche after like, how does the confidence, how is the confidence built? How is that self? I know you mentioned self-awareness, is it that confidence that you build from, I suppose, doing something you really didn't want to do 
and then having you know to you're building momentum then to to tackle more things in life that might come up because I know you kind of have like what do you be you know setting challenges and and overcoming them what do you think we really benefit from that or what what is it the values that we take from that I think at, at its deepest level it's all around um self-worth um, now, if I can kind of back away from that for a little bit, and I'll try and get back to it. But like, you know, if you think of um, your day 22 and you were at the top of those steps and fucking every cell in your body was resisting against it and throwing up these excuses into your mind, um, but you were able to take those steps down and plunge into the water and then, you know, you embraced the cold and you found a way through it and you persevered and then you got out and you get this incredible... Um, not just from the cold and, and, you know, the mother, like touching mother nature, but you just get this incredible, um, I think confidence was the word you were, um, you used, you know, you get this incredible buzz off having, um, had the power yourself to overcome what you were feeling and only you know what you were feeling only you know the depths and the resistance and uh the pushback and the hurdles your mind was giving you and the excuses and then when you finally you know you go through it whatever you went through it whatever the challenge was and you come out the other side like you've literally grown like you've literally stepped outside um, your old shell of comfort and push yourself into an uncomfortable place. And that is very addictive, you know, and if you keep doing that over time, so you start to grow your self-confidence, right? You start to grow your self-belief in yourself. Your self-esteem starts to raise. And then over time and over time, you continually do that. You know, we're, we're getting into areas here now where you are improving your relationship with yourself on a, very deep kind of self-worth level and you know you keep pursuing that over a lifetime and we're talking you know keep embracing challenge keep pushing pushing yourself uh, and we're talking we're getting into self-mastery then on, on, a, on a completely different a level that not many people get to you know yeah it's it's yeah it starts getting deep there i i like i set out a challenge for myself i think back in was it april or may and uh, it just came about and I just wanted to cover 700 kilometers doing a run and a swim every day. But it wasn't so much the distance that I covered. It was kind of what I discovered about myself throughout that challenge. Like the days where I didn't want to go out and run, if it was raining or cold, or the days I didn't want to cycle. But it was when I finished that cross line at the very end, I just had so much self-worth and I felt empowered because I mm. kept that promise to myself. And I think that's that's getting really deep down into, as you know, because I know you're big into challenges, but it's like keeping a word to yourself, like being true to yourself. And then that translates yeah. then into every other part of life, I, I believe. Absolutely. Like that commitment is, you know, that promise, as you said, or what I would call a commitment to yourself is a personal contract, Right. That and and you're the only one who can break that, and you know, and I like, I mean, I know I've broken many personal contracts, but I hold myself accountable, and I come back at them, and I try and persevere through those challenges again. But like, everyone knows deep down when they break that contract, and it feels like shit, you know. But we have, we can either, we can either accept it. 
um, that feeling or we can avoid it or we can change it and do something about it. And I like to think I will always go after those things and change it. But, um, you know, that has a very, very profound effect on us um, if we continue to do that, you know, continue to make promises to ourselves and consistently go after them. And in some cases, the actual outcome or the a success, as we would think of the challenge, is actually inconsequential. It's actually making that commitment and learning from it. And all the things you learn in the journey, you know, if you are successful or if you fail in the challenge, it's actually not as important as you might think. It's all those learnings that you pick up along the way about yourself and those insights and those battles and those fights and, you know, overcoming them or not on certain days. You know, I'm sure, you know, you like me, you know, you get up some mornings and you have this big fucking challenging day ahead of yourself and it's fucking freezing outside and it's pissing out the heavens and the last thing you want to do is go after it, you know. But that day you do that day you find a way to get past it. I mean, that day is just so much better than any other day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, big time. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I've, I've nearly become addicted to this now at this stage because my mm. last two guests were, uh, uh, Shane Finn, you, you might be, you might be familiar mm. with Shane and, um, Jerry Duffy. And, you know, they, they have that same mindset as you of like setting, like, you know, pushing your bodies through uncomfortable situations in order to reap the rewards on, on the other side that life has to offer. Um, yeah. you know, and I, I, I you know, I, after meeting you in, in Galway and then, you know, seeing what you do on Instagram, on your, um, and on your social media, you know, I kind of was just I fell in love with that kind of whole approach to life. I know it's, mm. and I remember one of your quotes was brilliant. It was, it was, um, you know, if you're not if you're not moving, you're dying, or something like that. It's just mm. that really resonated with me in a way. Yeah, I think you know, it, one of my, I suppose, purposes in life is uh, contentment, right? And the way to do that, what I found is to constantly be striving for more from myself and constantly raising my standards and pushing forward in life. And what I found is when I don't. And that is a very human thing that I don't, right? Um, and everyone, sh nobody should beat themselves up about it, but they should be honest with themselves if they're not. So what I found myself when I don't, when I'm not in that space, I'm just not as happy. I'm not as content. And I I believe to be not, not um, standing still, but I'm moving backwards in life. I don't think there's a standing still. You're either going one way or the other, you know? So, um, yeah, just over uh, many, many years, I've ingrained these practices and, uh, you know, they became habits and now they're just, you know, regular every day, the way I live my life. And it's all about pushing myself every day um, and getting more out of life because guess, guess what? It makes me happy on a very healthy, yeah, kind of deep level. Yeah, I, I, I'm the same. I have that kind of same that approach to life. I think it's always important to me moving and, and setting, setting goals to like, I, I, I think if you're not, if you don't have a goal set, if you're not striving towards something or stretching yourself, mm. you know, as you said, you're, you're not, you're not living. You're, you're just standing mm. still. You're getting stale. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a good way to put it, you know, yeah. it's a good way to put it. You're not living. Yeah. yeah because, because you're missing out on all these amazing, like internal and external experiences through that kind of direction. The goal is going to give you, um, and that, that learning, you know, I, I feel most alive when I'm learning, learning about myself, learning about life, 
how to navigate it. And that's what I get by, you know, like you said, stretching yourself and pushing yourself into the uncomfortable, into stress, into fears. Um, I get to learn about myself and that makes me feel alive and that gives me an amazing, uh, healthy kind of um, addiction. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's addictive in a way. Well, let me ask you this question. How do you, like for me, how do you, uh, how do you find fulfillment and purpose in life? Or like say if somebody, a listener was asking, uh, or, you know, thinking to themselves, I feel a little lost in life. I feel like I have no direction. I, I'm developing a thing where, um, it's like a program I'm hoping to develop now shortly. It's, uh, just trying to find yourself, trying to find out who you are and what you do and, what makes you tick and what I, the way I explain it is it's a three E pro three E process. So it's uh, examining. And I know you, I know you talk a lot about self-awareness and I think being self-aware is such one of the like major steps or first, uh, the foundation level to understand what approach or sort of what direction you should go in life. And for me, self-awareness is, is, is examining yourself examining yourself and the way you think, the way you talk to people, how you interact with people, what makes you annoyed, what pisses you off. Um, there's such an internal uh, search there for self-awareness there for to understand who you are. You have to look inwards. And then my next step would be then um, I would talk about um, exploring. And that's, I suppose, that's kind of on a, on, a, on a level that you're on now is exploring as you talk about going on adventures uh, experiencing different cultures when you're on these adventures, speaking with different people and, and uh, opening your mind on uh, different approaches of life in life. And then and my last one then is expanding. So expanding into what makes you tick. So what do you love doing? What do you enjoy doing? And expanding on those, on those sort of um, those activities that you like doing. But for the question I suppose I have is like, what is, what's your kind of main like if you were trying to find, yeah, I suppose purpose, fulfillment, help help people find because you're on that, as you said, internally and ex and externally exploring. What have you found out about finding out about yourself over the last few years? I, I, it's a, it's a deep question, right? And I, I don't know if I have the answer to um, clearly articulate to anyone um, how to do it. What I, what I will share with you is how I have done it. Um, now, I nearly count myself a little bit lucky in that I I had a vehicle in uh, sport and rugby um, at a, as a young man that I, I just knew that I wanted to be a professional rugby player and it gave me incredible drive and purpose uh, and meaning. Um, and I went after that and I got to, I suppose, live that uh, life and that kind of uh, young boy's dream for like 16 years. What that gave me was time. What I, what I mean by that is like, so I was doing this thing I loved. It was very difficult. Um, it was a very difficult life, um, like the, the lifestyle around it and, and what it took out of your body. So that gave me a lot of time to learn about myself, right? And to kind of learn what made, um, sorry, to, I suppose, see myself for, um, because of the difficulty of the sport and the life, you know, get a clear picture on who Damien Brown was. And, you know, that clear picture um, led me to 
my next step in life, which was like um, a pursuit of peak performance in myself, a pursuit of self-mastery in myself through, you know, the prism of adventure and exploring. And um, so I, I never really like sat down and kind of had a process. I never even posed a question to myself. I just followed my internal kind of compass with stuff, you know, this is where I have a burning desire. This is something that I want to achieve. Um, so I'm going to do that if that makes sense. And like, there was no, like, you know, and even if I reflect, I would say sometimes my motivations were, um, unhealthy around that stuff, but I, I have a, a kind of, um, I've come to learn that you should run with any motivation that comes up, be it unhealthy or healthy, um, because it is distinct. It is there is a distinct lack of motivation in the world. So when it does show its head, I don't care how you, um, I suppose, label it, but just run with it and use it because it will lead. It will really, if your intention is pure, it will lead to really good stuff. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how I've, um, I suppose, lived my life. And it's only now, like, you know, for the last five or six years that I kind of try and I look back a lot and I try and put a language around what I've done um, because I want to share it and I want to share it clearly with people so they can, um, you know, they can use what I've learned through a really crucible kind of type of life, you know, through real nose I suppose at the fucking um, right at the front of the battle, like you know, getting getting knocked and picking myself up and getting knocked down and picking myself up. So, so I want to share that with people so they can use it, you know. And why not, you know? I, I think I think there's great duty in that, so I try and do it. But um, yeah, so it's, like I said, it's only the last five or six years I put a bit. I've tried to put some language around it, and then I've started to reflect and I've started to ask myself these questions, you know, and. Uh, yeah, I don't have a kind of, uh, like you said, and I really like that well, the way you put it, those three E's, but I, I, I don't have anything clearly like that to share with people. I, I, I just can share my story, I suppose, and where my kind of drive has come from um, and where my motivations come from from time to time um, to pursue these uh, purposeful things. And I know nobody might want to hear it, and it's a probably an oversimplification of uh, an answer, but it's it's by feeling what's right inside you know it's by like this is the path for you i love doing this it gives me a hell of a lot it gives me something it gives people around me something it gives a you know a wider community something um and if you can get those three things i find um there'll be huge purpose in whatever you do yeah and I think that'll shine through as well when, if you're whatever job you're in, or if it's a, a career path or a passion of yours, you know, you, you kind of have to love what you're doing in order for it to be successful and content in life. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I, yeah. Through, so. It will, it will. Like, I mean, you know, it'll shine through in um, what it gives you and what you give it. I think, you know, the way you go about it, you know, your intentions around it and, um, you know, we can, we can all, we all see the people, 
um, who would be on the opposite side of the spectrum, you know, who've given up a little bit on life. You know, they're very, they're very visible. Um, they communicate it very, very easily. And the guys who, who are doing the opposite, they're communicating that just by being who they are, you know, that's, that's what those, that's what purpose gives you, I find. And what would you say? Because I remember reading one of your quotes, and this is this is what I this is what I kind of love about your whole approach to it is because I'm kind of on the same wavelength. Is like, you know, you just said, do whatever the fuck you want to do in life. Nothing is stopping you, only yourself. Um, mm. And it's important to have that mindset. Like, how do people in this day and age kind of get out of that that victim that kind of victim card? Kind of like instead of life happening, you know, life is happening to me rather than for me. How do you, because I know you've such a, you've such a strong mindset and you've great tools to share. Like, how do you switch that from, no, life is actually happening for me and I should attack it rather than, ah, this is just the way life is. This is, you know, kind of playing Mm. that victim card. Mm. I would say that the value you have to uh, promote in your life is honesty. You know, I think if we're all um, brutally honest with ourselves, uh, Nobody's getting in your way. Only you. You're the one presenting issues and hurdles. And if you're able to be aware of them and question them and put some brutal honesty around how you answer that question, I think you'll come out of that mindset pretty quickly, you know. Now, that's not an easy thing to do. Um, I think you have to have something really driving you deep down to kind of, you know, um, put that brutal honesty um on yourself you know you have to have something that means a lot to you so you will impose those questions on yourselves uh, on yourself sorry um but i what i found when i have been that person you know and even i'm talking about small glimpses of it like if when i rode the ocean um i remember when i rode the atlantic uh day nine i lost an oar and there was a big storm that night, and it was smashing against the boat, right? Uh, I woke up the next morning, I went out, and I readied myself, and I went to grab um, my left oar, got it in my hand, went to grab my right oar, and there was nothing there where there should be an oar, you know? And um, this drove me into this period of of um, self-loading and, like, almost, um, you know, self-pity and woe is me and I've lost my favorite set of oars and I have to use these other spare pair that I didn't like, right? But it was only when I was able to put some shape on that, um, the consequences around that, and I had to ask myself some brutal questions. And when I asked myself those things, I was able to, you know, take responsibility for um, the situation because what I had been doing for like four days running up to that is I had been using, um, I had been lazy and I had been using a hammer to knock down a thing called the collar on the oar. Um, and because um, instead of unscrewing the screws and tightening it up properly, I just got lazy, right? Um, what happened then that night was the storm came through, smashed the boat, 
um, and the aura slid out of the collar because the collar was there the next day. So it was only when I asked myself these really brutal, honest questions and I was able to take some responsibility for my own actions was I able to um, raise myself out of this kind of self-loathing and self-pity that I'd put myself in for 24 hours, would you believe? And I was just like beating myself up and like feeling sorry for myself. But it was completely my fault when I was able to self-reflect and go back and ask some real honest questions and, uh, and then take responsibility for that. Like, I just want to give the listeners some context on this. So you, you rode across the Atlantic Ocean it was from, um, where did you start again? It was I started in uh, the Canary Islands, La Gomera, one of the small Canary, Canary Islands. And it took you 63 days on your own. And that's, sorry, that's what I was referring to. You don't mind being self, being inside self-isolation. Yeah, I only read the other day as well that you were, uh, you don't know how to swim. No, no, I don't, but um, I wasn't planning on swimming. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, I was, yeah, I was, I was, I was, um, very vigilant. You're just a real, real adrenaline junkie by the sounds. That is just crazy. That's that's crazy. I, it's more, I think it's more, to be honest with you, it's just more about the, the challenge. You know, I knew that this was going to challenge me. And I, I'm not just talking about the role. I'm talking about the whole um, campaign. You know, I knew the whole thing was going to, like, completely challenge me to my core. And, and that's what attracts me to it. Um, of course, there's other things like the accomplishment, uh, the adventure, um, the experience, like they're all really important. But, uh, you know, it's what I'm going to get from the challenge. And, uh, you know, I like to think of um, challenges as uh, you should have three levels of challenges in your life. You should have an every something that challenges you every day to kind of have those small wins every day or at least be learning from your challenge. You'd have, you should have something that challenges you on a on a bigger level or on a deeper level like every three or four months maybe three times a year and then you should have something every year or every once every two years something huge that is going to push you into a different stratosphere of challenge and that's what that was for me i would say actually that was probably the you know outside of a, a 15 year career in rugby that was like my you know the biggest challenge i was you know ever or I'd ha i had imposed on myself in my life and you know i so i I actually wanted it to be really, 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 really hard. And I got exactly what I wanted because it was. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. I, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Like, and during, during that, what, what was the, what was the toughest day? Like, I know you capsized twice. I remember uh, watching your videos. Um, Would you believe the tough? What was, what was going Yeah. The toughest day was um, day one. I had a terrible start um, because, because, and it, it was again uh, on self on reflection. It was it was my own fault. But basically, I um, I was the last. So I was in a race, right? It's called the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge, and there was twenty five boats, um, and I was the last boat to leave. Boats leave every five minutes, and so the boats range from four man boats to solos like me and they leave the solos right to the last and there was five of us solos at the end and I was the last of the solos so like I was pent up I um 
somebody who is competitive. I am somebody who likes to push himself and perform at, under those pressures. So I was like, right, I'm going to fucking catch every single one of those boats. I'm going to pass them out. <laughs> so I tore out of the blocks. Um, like uh, I put the, put the hammer down from the start. I passed three boats. I was flying along. And then my body just went, no, I'm not having this. I'm shutting down. And, um, uh, and, and that, was a con- that was a consequence of um, me stopping training, like tapering my training too long before the start. So basically what happened was I had planned, because my build-up period was 18 months, I had planned to um, take two weeks off and let my body kind of – I thought it would be kind of – almost like a ratio that, okay, you train for 18 months, so you should take a nice taper into this huge endeavor. Um, what ended up happening was uh, I competed in the Irish Indoor Rowing Championships um, three weeks before I was meant to go. Did really, really, like I really performed well for myself. I was very happy where I was at physically and mentally. Uh, and I broke a couple of Irish records and I just went, well, like what's the point in training for another five days you know, you are where you are now, you might as well just taper off. So basically what happened was three weeks, I didn't do a thing. And then I ripped into some rowing for six hours and my body went, no, um, I'm not, I'm not prepared to do this. And it just shut down. And, you know, my, like my hands, all the skin on my hands blistered and tore off. The calluses tore off. My heels blistered. Uh, I got seasickness really bad. And then um, I got some weird cramping in all my lower limbs. Like, so just from the rowing for six hours, like all my quads, hamstrings, calves all started to cramp at the same time. So as you know, you can't stretch one without contracting the other. So I was like, I couldn't do anything. And then like, as all this my like, you know, my body is my rock. Like it's all I've relied on and trained to be, I would say, or I would deem like unbreakable for like, 15 years um, <laughs> as that was shutting down around me and I had no answers to the question uh, mother nature decided to challenge me even more and the tides um, turned so now I was I was rowing into the tides and the winds turned as well into the front of my boat so now I was rowing into the winds as well so like everything just started to go wrong and I started to get blown backwards I went backwards a mile as I tried to rest to let my body recover I made up that mile in three hours, and then I said, okay, listen, I've, I'm back to the point where I was. It was the evening of day one. I said, I'll put out the power anchor now. Like, so the power anchor is this big parachute anchor that like uh, you use when you can't use a ground anchor. It's a big parachute, sits out the front of the boat, and holds about two tons of water in it and stops you getting blown back. And because I was going backwards, I thought, okay, I'll put out the power anchor, um, and then I'll get a block of sleep, like five or six hours this night of day one. And hopefully I'll wake up in the morning and my body will feel a bit better and my mind will be in a, a little bit of a better place at least. You know, I'll have regathered some composure. So I went through all that faff of putting out the lines and went to sleep, woke up five hours later and I'd been blown back a mile and a half. <laughs> and that point, that point was undoubtedly the hardest part of the whole thing when I, I just could not figure out what the fuck was going wrong. Um, I remember I was pulling in the power anchor. So the power anchor is about 90 meters of line on it. I leaning over the boat. It's pitch black. Every like fourth wave is coming over the top of the boat and soaking me. 
And I just was so negative, so dark, so destructive. I just saw this fucking thing that I put every sinew of myself into for like 18 months, just falling down around me. Like, and I, you know, I, I just was not, I was just in a shockingly um, destructive place. So um, from all my training, I was nearly mental training. I'm talking now. I was, my self-awareness flagged that I was negative. You know, it's like, Jesus, you're fucking seriously negative here. So I kind of just, I know then I, I have some processes around that. So I just needed to, I needed to kind of sit down and just give myself a bit of mental space and get some perspective on what I was trying to do. So I sat in my, I stopped pulling in the power anchor, sat down in my little seat and I just, I, I posed myself three questions, you know? So I was like, what are you here to do? You know, to give myself some perspective, I was like, well, you know, I'm here to row the Atlantic. Mm -hmm. And and how do you do that? Well, you fucking row, like, because that is something that's going to get you across. So I rowed. And then the other question I asked myself was, um, what is another, what good is another minute or day or hour spent, you know, here in this spot, feeling sorry for yourself and, you know, lamenting your misfortunes and your bad luck and trying to get answers to your questions and basically just been negative, uh, you know, in, in regards the the goal, which was to row the Atlantic. And the answer was none. So I rode like fucking crazy. Um, I rode for seven hours straight without stopping, took 45 minutes for a snack, felt a bit better, rode for another seven hours. And finally, on the evening of day two, um, after that, that 14 and 15 hours rowing only rode, uh, I only rode 10 miles, but that 10 miles, um, saved my race because on the evening of day two, finally, after that 15 hours, the winds shifted and they started to blow me out into the middle of the ocean away from the islands and away from tides. And, um, and, uh, yeah, like, you know, to put some context on that for your listeners, you know, if I rode for 14 hours in um, good conditions, I'd probably make 50 miles. So it just shows you how slow I was going, but I just kept concentrating on what I could control, which was rowing and effort and technique and position. And, you know, I saw I was going nowhere, but I tried to just stay some way neutral around that instead of getting negative around how slow I was going. I just started to just control what I could control. And, you know, like I said, it saved my race because there was two other two other solos right at the back with me, and they were going backwards, forwards, backwards, forwards in the winds and that. But uh, you know, they didn't row fourteen of the fifteen hours uh, on the morning of day two, and and they never got away. Their races were cut short after two and three days, if I remember correctly, when they were had to go back into the island we just left. So, you know, I'm very. Um, yeah, so it just shows you like having that kind of self-awareness when you're destructive and then, you know, bringing it back to something you could control and concentrating on that is um, is very, yeah. very powerful. And were you the first, were you the only solo rower to make it across? So there was five of us who started and three of us made it. So those two lads um, obviously on had to get pulled back in and then there was, uh, yeah, no, three of five made it. Yeah, wow! Oh, it's unbelievable achievement. Unbelievable. Like I'm just thinking, how, like how many, like you were on for that amount of time. How many count? Like what were you eating? What What did your living quarters look like? Was it, you know, paint us a picture for like your yeah. day to day kind of, Yeah, sure. So, um, 
the boat I was on was like seven meters, uh, 23 feet, seven meters long. And it had um, two cabins either end and it had an ro- open rowing deck in the middle. Uh, one of the cabins was where I lived. Um, basically, I could just about sit up in it uh, without touching my head off the top of the um, the roof. And um, it just had a bed which was like a, a bit of um, uh, foam wrapped in waterproof um, nylon. And um, uh, in that cabin, then I had everything I needed, like I uh, had um, GPS, I had my radios, I had my radar, I had a thing called an AIS, Automatic Identification System, which is an, another type of radar. And I had my sat phones and, um, uh, yeah, so um, all my electrics were in there and uh, my water maker, I think, to desalinate the seawater into, into drinkable water. And, you, you know, you keep that, try and keep that cabin as dry as possible because um, so there's a hatch on it, which is um, watertight and airtight. Um, and, you, you know, you want to you obviously you don't want to be um, living in um, a cabin that is uh, soaked but it's nearly impossible to keep it dry like you're dragging in wet which uh, and there's condensation from when you sleep uh, so yeah that c- can get quite grim in there at times you know uh, especially when everything is wet um, that is something that is a serious mental challenge <laughs> when you are uh, trying to sleep and you've found one position where it is three quarters dry and if you move a quarter of an inch either way it's soaking wet <laughs> that'll um yeah that'll test the man i tell you uh, and then on the other end there's a cabin but it's just for storage you really like it's tiny like you, you couldn't get in there well i couldn't anyway um and you just store stuff in there and then um yeah like i had everything i needed on board that little boat uh, to survive so i had 90 days worth of food i had about six and a half thousand calories a day and those six and a half thousand calories were made up of three thousand of dehydrated uh, freeze-dried rations or sorry three and a half thousand of dehydrated meals or freeze-dried meals and then three thousand in snacks and those snacks were like things like um uh, biltong, um, peanut butter, almond butter, MCT oil, uh, protein powder, protein bars, flapjacks. Um, uh, try, and, uh, try and put as much protein into my snacks as possible because that's the real – well, I, I eat a lot of protein in real life as well, and I don't want to change my diet when I'm on expeditions too much, uh, and it's something that's really hard to get um, – um, in dehydrated food and that, you know, to a quality. So I like to supplement it quite a lot. So anything I can put protein in, um, uh, I, I, as a snack, I, I bring with me. So, yeah, and uh, even after eating, and I was eating 6,500 calories basically every day, you know, 6 to 6.5. I might leave the odd bit here and there. Uh, I still lost 28 kilos going across. Um, so it just probably shows I was burning twelve to 15,000 calories a day or something like that. Yeah, because I, I saw the picture of you, I think, finishing the Marathon de Sable versus, mm. I think, your last day when you arrived on the, on the, um, across, across the Atlantic. And yeah, you're, you're a different man for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Built wise, you're. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I went from 130 kilos uh, when I started the row. Now I put on a load of shit weight basically in the last two weeks just by eating because i knew you know why not you're going to lose a lot um and then i um yeah i finished 102 
and I probably hadn't been 102 kilos since I was like 15 years old. So it was, it was quite a shock. <laughs> <laughs> was there any, were there any real scary moments? Like, was there any, were you, were you like filled with fear? Like, I mean, in the wild Atlantic ocean, I'm sure there was like big waves and uh, wild winds. And was there any moment you're like, Oh wow, this is, this is a bit crazy. The day 14, you talked about it earlier, the day I capsized twice was uh, the craziest day of my life. Um, I, it was, it was absolutely like, it wasn't, it wasn't like I ever felt I was scared, but like, if I reflect on it now, and if, you know, when I, when I think about how I was that night, um, it was incredibly, um, challenging and testing and it was it was just it was survival it was just it was basic human survival i was just hanging on by my fingertips my claws for um 14 hours so basically i'll talk you through the day quickly but i was fast asleep at about seven in the morning uh in the cabin and i woke up when my head was smashed against the side of the cabin in the middle of a capsize so that's you know, if you imagine somebody waking you up with a hammer to your face um, while you're asleep in your bed at home, that's what that felt like. It was fucking, it was like a shock, a shock of pain um, while the boat was obviously in the middle of a 360 degree capsize. And I'm, you know, you're trying to decipher what the fuck would just hit me? Where am I? What's going on? Uh, as this boat is going over, like, you know, imagine yourself in a washing machine. So, <laughs> so that is a very, um, uh what would you say challenge a difficult scenario to try and figure out in your mind but do you know what cued it for me what what cued it for me was uh, the blood i could feel the blood running down my face and you know from rugby you kind of get you know you get a lot of stitches around your face that you know over the years and i was kind of i had that i knew that sensation you know so the familiarity of that sensation was like oh that's blood because it's really warm and it has a certain kind of feeling on your skin, uh, like, a, I don't know how to describe it, but I, so that's what kind of told me like, okay, that was a capsize, your head's been smashed open. So, you know, from that moment, it was just survival, survival, survival. So I'm thinking, okay, what's the boat kind of remi, I'm sorry, the boat uh, rewrote itself. So back to its, um, position in the sea it's normal position and my first thing was okay you have to stop the bleeding and i had no idea how deep it was you know as far as i was concerned it could have been uh, a big gash you know which needs stitches and how the fuck am i going to do stitches out here on myself so thankfully it wasn't it was just like about three or four um grazes and and kind of small cuts so with some pressure uh it stopped pretty uh well and then it was just about um, like seeing what was so five days before that I'd lost an oar. So now I'm going out on the cabin with my heart in my mouth going, fucking please don't have lost another oar or please don't have lost my seat. Was Everton tied down? So it's like, you know, I went out and then Everton was good. Thankfully, Everton was still there. Now the, the anchor was hanging over the side of the boat. So was the life raft. So I just kind of remedied all that. And obviously I pumped a load of water off the boat and then, um, I almost sitting there then kind of like just trying to, you know, this is in the middle of a storm now, by the way. That's why I capsized. I should have said that. So so I'm sitting on the boat, like in my wet gear, kind of trying to just give myself a second to get my, gather my thoughts or whatever. And um, I hear this noise, like, because you are hyper. Like, I mean, 
you, when you're in that sort of state of survival, you're hyper aware, uh, hypersensitive to anything different going on around you. So I heard this noise out of the, my right-hand corner, and I was on it like a shot with my eye, and I saw a dorsal fin um, swimming towards the boat in these huge waves. And I was like, fuck, what's that? I thought it was a dolphin, and then I realized it was actually a whale. It was an adolescent whale. And the whale was like, um, it circled the boat like four or five times, and on the fourth or fifth rotation of the boat, when it was back on my right-hand side, it stuck its left eye up and looked straight at me. <laughs> and I was like, fuck me, this is oh, just the yeah, most amazing experience. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was just the most incredible experience. Um, and then it, it swam yeah, back around the boat once more. Ah, it was just incredible, yeah. Uh, and then it came down once more down the left-hand side and it swam right beside the boat. Like, literally, if I'd had the wherewithal, I would have been able to reach out and touch it. Um, and then it was kind of gone, you know. And then the, I, the, the next kind of 10 hours were all about, like, the boat nearly capsizing, nearly capsizing, nearly capsizing uh, in, these, in these waves. So, like, what was happening was I couldn't get any... Um, I couldn't get the steering to work, right? So that meant I was going, when the boat, when you can't steer the boat, it means you go side on to the waves. They call it beam on. So basically you're sitting underneath these gigantic waves that are breaking and you go up the face of the wave, right? The boat goes up the face of the wave. And unfortunately, if you end up underneath the break, uh, that's when the wave pushes you over the top of the wave because the wind is so strong, it's pushing, it's breaking the top of the waves like in a surf. And if the boat's just in the wrong position on the face of the wave, that's when it goes over, right? So I can't get the steering to function. It's like um, the best analogy I can use is like you're used, um, going for a drive in your car without power steering. No matter how many times you use the move the wheel, it won't really turn. And that's what was happening with the boat. So I was trying to fix the steering, and it was uh, later on that day, about six hours later, and I was kind of in underneath the foot pedal, I came out of that position and I saw this wave just coming right over the top of the boat and I was right underneath the brake and I went over again with the boat, but this time I went into the water. Um, I just had the instincts. I just had the instincts to grab the handle behind me uh, with one hand before I went in and I went all the way around underneath uh, 180 degrees underneath the water, just um, hanging on with one hand saying, squeeze your grip, squeeze your grip, squeeze your grip. And like five, I don't know, five, six, seven seconds later, the boat self-rights and I came back down on my back. Um, a very, very, very relieved person and, yeah, kind of in awe of some of the training I'd done around visualization because it all kind of came into fruition in that, uh, in that moment. Um, and, yeah, to get back to your um, the, the, what I said at the very start, like, so that evening um, I went, I crawled into the cabin at about, like, something really early, like half seven or eight o'clock, and I was just mentally and physically fucking fried from the day. I was so fried that, remember now, I had no steering and I was in a storm, so the boat was, like, at the mercy of whatever was going to happen, and I slept like a baby that night because I just had, I didn't have a... I, I didn't have a cell in me that didn't want to just switch off because I had been like in this survival mode um, all day. <laughs> I'm sure you did sleep well that night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, unbelievable. That's an incredible story. It's incredible. And it just oh, makes I, me think I, if, if anybody can get through that, which very few can, 
or wood, you know, you could get your anything. I mean, you must have built such a strong mindset from, from that whole from that whole experience. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, that's one of the great things that when, when you know, I, I, you wish it on yourself that it's going to be hard, and it is incredibly hard. But um, from that comes, like you said, the, that type of growth that you know you just can't find it without going into those places and without being absolutely challenged and pushed to your core. Uh, and days like that, uh, and days like day one, um, are are days that uh, will stand to you for the rest of your life. You know. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, was that your toughest challenge to date out of all everything you've done so far? Yeah, yeah, un- yeah, undoubtedly. You know, I think um, ocean rowing is—it's not. There's no uh, physically. There's no major peaks of challenge. Like you're never going to be in a a state of like absolute exhaustion and fatigue from physical effort because it's like you know you're 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 plowing away at 20 strokes a minute but you're not it's not like a 2k row on the erg where it's like maximum effort for six you know where you so um but it just it mentally it is such a challenge it's just such a grind it just challenges like the the atlantic ocean i found was just playing with me like it was like a, a cat with a you know a ball of wool like or a, a, you know a, it was just it was just messing with me like and it's just every time you kind of pick yourself up and dust yourself off and you feel like you've got a foothold or you feel like you're in a good position it will just throw something else at you or it will knock you down again and it's just about been able to drag yourself up and been able to persevere in this fight not a fight you're ever going to win but just to persevere and come out the other side and and you know you'll get all the good stuff then and um yeah that's exactly what i got yeah jesus yeah it's oh incredible incredible couldn't, couldn't get over it when i was watching the videos last week as well because you have them up on your website there so it's just it's just incredible yeah so when is your uh what's the story with the seven summits are you going to hold off for now maybe until next year yeah no next that's right yeah no no real choice around that you know the only window you can go to everest is um april and may for the spring climbing season so um going to wait till uh just put that off postponed it until then and um hoping to hoping to get away on another um another adventure in the meantime i'm not sure what covid and what's happening with international travel and all that but um yeah it's it's i find it hard i already rated like seven or eight months for everest and waiting another 12 months is fine but i would like to do something in the interim you know so um, i'm kind of trying to figure that out at the moment and, and see if we can fit something in before then um and then i've done five of the seven so there's the seventh mountain left which is uh if uh, you know if um everest happens and is you know i achieve what i want to achieve uh there's a one more mountain in antarctica but um i i don't have any I don't have any window put aside or any plans just yet in place to um, to take that on. So we'll 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 get the big one. Um, we'll give the big one a go first, and and uh, we'll see after that. Yeah, that's that's exciting. That's exciting. So twelve months away. Yeah. Um. So I know you have a a Patreon. That's quite a new thing, is it? The Patreon account. It is. Yeah. Which, it is. 
Yeah. Do you want to do you want to just describe to the listeners because I know you have some great content on it and you, you share some great content, but maybe to go through what 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 you're doing on that, uh, your mindset coaching and yeah, um, personal development. Sure. Um, so this is something that's come out of um, COVID, really. You know, I was I had. Um, you know, you forecast a lot around adventures and, you know, I was thinking, well, you know, I'll go to Everest and I will, um, hopefully it will be successful. I'll do everything in my power for it to be successful. And then, you know, you come back and I've been making a, trying to make a living, um, off the side of adventures with speaking, you know, so you forecast a lot around that and that was completely wiped out. Um, so that was like, uh, not foreseen. So you're kind of, you know, I had to fill or try and like, um, try and find a way to during this period to, um, you know, bring in some income. But I was like, you know, I had forecasts uh, for some to come in. So, so somebody introduced Patreon to me and I was checking it out and, you know, it, it looked very interesting in regards like every, people are using for all sorts of different things and, um, you know, creators and, oh, you know, uh, podcasters and yeah, it's like there's, there's a, massive community on there using it in very creative ways so i thought like i've got a hell of a lot to share here um and this platform works really well in regards that for a you know for now like so i put together like um basically a lot of my um programs i suppose or processes or um modules that i've kind of just I have forged myself. I have figured out the way I do these things, um, the way I've kind of survived for 20 years in, you know, true rugby and now uh, preparing for adventures. So, yeah, I put that together and um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great way for me to kind of share what I do behind the scenes. So the people who are known as patrons on there, so patrons get to... Uh, you know, get a very kind of up close and personal look at what, at what I'm doing day to day in my training and then um, how I'm trying to share uh, where I've got in my life, the, the tools I've used and the tools I have developed. Um, and I've kind of split it into tiers, like so kind of goes back to what we talked to right at the start. So basically, I, I'm a big believer in my module would be body first. So it's training your body um, and linking with that and connecting with that. So my first tier is body. Second tier then that people can come into is mind, you know. So I, I teach a lot of the tools, processes, strategies. And I, I teach them um, or I show them in um, – I try and teach them and show them in action. So I record a lot of my sessions, especially my, like – really uh tough um conditioning sessions i do and um yeah just talk through what i'm going through and talk through what process i'm using what tools i'm using or what strategies i'm using um so that's what people get on that tier and then the next one is spirit so it's kind of like more of the external stuff that i use uh so you've got mind body which are both obviously internal then we're talking about things like you know external uh trainings like visualization affirmations uh, morning routines evening routines um witness process there's a load of stuff in that and then i'm the next tier then is um mastery you know so it's it's stuff i do on the long term um to push myself every day and, and 
stuff I'm planning to do. And, you know, um, I've put together a kind of, yeah, I suppose on that level, then there's access to like, uh, we've put together for this month, for example, you know, I'm like, I talked about, it's all about challenge and consistency of challenge. So we, I'm putting together like 12 months of challenges. So this month we're doing like something very simple, like cold shower uh, challenge every morning, you know, and uh, there's a little group on there and we share our thoughts and insights and what's coming up. And, you know, um, um, I suppose giving ourselves a window into, uh, into those kind of states that we, um, we, default to and then how to come out of them through challenge uh, and then the last tier i have is just for anyone who wants to basically follow exactly the type of training i'm doing um which um at the moment is um very strength-based it's powerlifting west side barbell stuff so i you know i just share all i like literally everything i do there so morning routines why trainings you know mindset around trainings uh future prep around trainings evening routines um and uh yeah so they get to literally a window into what i do every day and uh um yeah that's been going good it's only five weeks now on the go so it's very early days but you know what i'm really enjoying about it is that it's it's forcing me and challenging me and pressurizing me into um articulating and um clearly um uh figuring out uh what i do every day yeah yeah and uh, you know because i i just i my default is just to do because I am programmed and that is what I've done for 20 years and I don't even have to think about it, you know. I don't have to think about a lot of stuff that people will have to think about. So I must, I nearly have to reverse engineer now and try and figure out, okay, hang on, where did this come from? Why are you doing it? How can you share it clearly with people so they can start it, you know. And I'm really enjoying that, you know, um, even though it is, again, a challenge, but maybe that's why I'm enjoying it. Yeah, like it's probably I don't know if you've heard about this in in NLP is unconscious competence mm. and the different levels of uh, competence. You know, the four so, levels, right? Yeah, you're. What's that? The four levels, right? Yeah, the four levels. Yeah, so it's mm. trying to unravel your own kind of thoughts and beliefs and uh, philosophies around, uh, I suppose, your own strategies and processes that you just unconsciously put into your everyday life yeah but so yeah but it's cool that you're you're putting this all into uh like programs now on, on patreon and that it's amazing it's great yeah and i you know i i, I just see it been a long-term thing you know i'm also once i get closer to adventures i'll be sharing all the um the work I do there, um, like up close and kind of behind the scenes and personal stuff there, like on the water or in the mountains or whatever. So, yeah, I'm really excited about it. Like, I think it's going to be a great thing for me. And I think, you know, people who um, sign up are going to be, you know, they're going to be resourced in a very different type of language. You know, I think it just... Uh, I just try and be as authentic and real about these things as I can. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying I have all the answers, but, you know, I've achieved a few things and I think I have a lot to share that can help people. So I think they'll get, um, yeah, they'll get a, a less shiny or, a, you know, less kind of, um, I don't know, brassed up kind of uh, product uh, here. And, and I like that because it's, um, it's a reflection of me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
It's it's and it, it can be difficult to put uh, in, in that into like a, a process and strategy, but it's cool that you're doing it. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, well done. Mm. Cheers, thanks. It, yeah. Um. So if we if you had to uh, if you had, if we had any like takeaway kind of actions um for the listeners, I kind of wanted to talk about something that seems to be cropping up an awful lot now these days is anxiety. Um, and I don't I don't particularly want to dive too deep into it, but uh, I suppose not an anxiety, but just kind of controlling your thoughts and setting yourself on the right mindset. What what would what would be your like top tips to help people kind of uh, control your thoughts? Um, you know what I'm noticing a lot, um, nearly just in the last few weeks, kind of coming off the back of the point I just made about kind of have to try to, you know, put some uh, language and and processes around what I do is that um, there seems to be this kind of almost, I call it first level thinking, like, you know, that it's like your default mode. And the more aware you can become of that default mode of thinking and the more you can witness it, um, the better. Because when you can't witness it, when you're not aware of it, it is controlling you. You are not controlling yourself. So I've um, I've been thinking a lot about self-awareness. And I know you hit on this point right at the start, and I, I completely agree with you. It is just enormous in... Um, a tool or a, a value that you can um the more you can have it in your life the better so what i've been realizing what i do is i i um, prepare I, during my morning routine every morning i prepare my awareness by flagging um challenges so basically what i do is i visualize my day I, things I know that are going to happen are things that are, and then in that I try and visualize challenges and I try and see myself how I'm going to cope with those challenges before they even happen, you know, and I see myself overcoming them and I use that kind of association with the feeling of seeing myself overcome. And what that does is that just helps you become more aware of when the challenge presents itself in real time. And what I found is you're much more clued into that first level thinking and then avoiding as much of that default state as you can. Uh, And I found that um, the more I've kind of, over the last few weeks now, um, the more that I have work I have put in around it in my morning routine and the type of person I want to be for that day, um, the quicker I flag that kind of first level thinking that can be quite manipulative and quite, you know, can sabotage as well, you know, to a certain um, extent. So it's, it's like preparing your awareness is what I've kind of teamed it. Um, and then, that, of course, that just helps you become more self-aware, you know, because you have um you you almost have a, a practice there around that and that you are uh, training and training that habit and uh, i think you know if if somebody wants to be more in control of their lives self-awareness is the key or one of the keys and uh that means you you know you want to get better at anything you got to practice and this is a good way to practice it yeah that's fantastic it's really good i love that um that you that you kind of visualize to overcome the problem before it happens. So visualize your day, and if some if you think something, I think that's brilliant. I love that. Yeah, I yeah. Because I like I know like say on come Saturday I'm going to have a 
I'm going to have a horrendous uh, training session. Like, so I, um, I know that there's going to be some really, really challenging parts. It's going to be a hell of a lot of resistance. So I got to be ready for that. And this is kind of what I figured out I do, you know? So I'm just, like I said, just putting language around that. And, and now I'm kind of realizing, hang on, this is so important for even the small things. And what it does is it just gives your self-awareness an opportunity to be more um, prevalent in your day-to-day, which is just a good thing to, you know, a great thing, actually. Yeah. Yeah, Alex, I, I study emotional intelligence in uh, coaching and that. And, uh, I mean, the first pillar is self-awareness. The second is obviously managing emotions. Third is social awareness and then relationship management. But it's all based around awareness. It's all based mm. around seeing yourself in the world, how you act, how you react, how you respond, how you feel, mm. and then how you react with other people and interacting with people. And, and it plays a huge part in like business and leadership, in uh, team building and with, with friends, with your coworkers. Mm. Like it's, it's, it's huge. It's becoming so much bigger now. Um, emotional mm. intelligence and uh, kind of tapping into your like your you know your kind of primal nature and how you how you interact with the world, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, and like and seeing you know seeing your um, actions, seeing your reactions, seeing your thoughts from a, like a nearly like from a plinth, and you know been able to kind of figure out like okay, well, why are you doing that? You know, asking yourself the right questions then around that, and just, like, it's literally figuring out figuring yourself out you know and how you uh are how you have become wired by you know your you know um your life you know and everything you've gone through your experiences your your youth your you know schooling all that sort of stuff and you're nearly like trying to break down half of that wiring to rebuild yourself yeah like i i find over the last couple of years i've just kind of started watching myself as a third person mm. <laughs> i know it mm. might sound weird but I just examine no. everything that I do. Um, yeah, I, and that's, I completely that's get that. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Alex. Excuse me. No, you're right. No, I think there's just a delay in the in the in because mm. of the internet. But um, yeah, um, yeah, I think just sit sitting back, just sitting back all the time. Do you ever uh, read that book, Michael A. Singer's Untethered Soul? No, but I think I know what you're. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's an amazing book. It's all about kind of just sitting back and watching your own thoughts and not associating with, associating with your thoughts and not becoming your thoughts and just li- literally seeing them as like a, as a third person. And I started to really over the last couple of years kind of really understand that. Now I'm not, I'm not like a master in it, but I, I, I start to just sit back and watch myself. And I think that really helps with, with your thoughts, with your, your mindset, yeah, it's just, yeah, and I, I see it then through, you know, because I've seen a pattern in my last couple of guests with you and and Shane Finn and uh, Jerry Duffy, that kind of same mindset, but also linking it in with the physical body and uh, how it's all kind of linked, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I um, It was funny, actually, I was, uh, just recently I was doing a, a post on Patreon about this called, I call this witnessing. So witnessing yourself from above. Right. Um, and I was trying to figure out some of the language around it. So I was doing a bit of Googling to see if anyone else calls it this or what's going on, you know, is this completely wrong? And I came across some quotes from that, um, untethered soul. Um, because I see witnessing as like untethered from the ego, you know, it's just there. 
it's just observing. It is it is in no way judgmental. It doesn't give a shit. It doesn't give a fuck. It just witnesses what you do, your actions, your reactions, your thoughts. Um, and it, it just notes them and it gives you the information and it's what you do with that information um, that is important, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's funny you should mention that. Uh, I'll have to give it a read now that you've, um, you know, now that you've linked that all up for me. Yeah, and I'm sure my listeners are sick of listening to me saying that because I've mentioned right. it in a lot of my <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's it's a game changer, absolute game changer. Just it's so simple. It's such a simple read. And when you read it, you're like, oh my god, this is this is it. Like this is this mm. is life and your own thoughts and mind is all about. And that's mm. that's cool. It's very cool. Great. Um, well, Demi, look, I think we'll I think we'll wrap it up with that. But before we finish up, um, where can people find you? Can they reach out to you? I know you're not doing much speaking at the moment, but your Patreon. Um, I, I'll put a link anyway to my to the post anyway. Um, Fair play. The Patreon that, you're, that you have in the program. But uh, if people yeah. want to reach out, where can they get you? Um, DamienBrown.com is my website. Um, so you know you'll you'll find out a lot there around me and what I've done in the past. Like you said, there's videos up there about the row and the other adventures and travels. Um, and uh, do you know what? The best place to get me is Instagram. I am most um, active on there of all social media. So that's um, Al Stock A U L D underscore Stock, and uh, yeah, and the Patreon as well. If you want to get a bit of a more behind the behind the scenes look and a bit more in depth in what I'm doing uh, every day. Okay, perfect. Sounds good. Where did Al Stock come from? What where, where, what is that? Is that a nickname? Uh, it's um so it basically comes from me and my mates we you know it's a i I think it's pretty nationwide like it kind of uses a term of endearment but definitely here in the west uh you know it's oh it basically means old stock you know so it's like you're an old acquaintance an old friend and then it kind of morphs into owls you know with yeah i suppose a bit of a play on the irish accent or whatever so we used to everyone called it Everyone calls each other Owl Stock, and you know, even back when we were like in our early twenties. So, um, yeah, when I moved to England, I just started introducing some of the English boys I played with, uh, played rugby with, to it. So it just kind of stuck with me, and then everyone was Owl Stock, and it's kind of what I call people who are, you know, friendly or good friends. Like, so that's it, basically. Yeah, love it, love it, it's brilliant. Yeah. Well, look at them. Um, thanks very much, man. I, I. I had a really good chat with you. I really enjoyed this episode. And uh, yeah. I think the listeners will get some really good, valuable takeaways and uh, action plans that they can put into place. Um, Great. Yeah, thanks very much. I'm- no bother, Alex. I really appreciate the invite, as I said. And uh, yeah, thanks. I thought that was a really good conversation. Yeah, it was really good. Well, she look at we'll, when all this uh, dust settles, we might meet for a pint in Galway at some stage. <laughs> yeah. That direction. And a swim. Absolutely. Not in February, though. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. All right. Thanks a million. Fair play, Alex. Come on. Thanks. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck.